This is Kira Snyder, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. This is Gray, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 136 for November 29th, 2022. Happens to be my 51st birthday as you're watching this podcast. Um, Happy birthday! Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the voice that you're hearing here, she has won an Emmy, a Golden Globe, a PGA Award, and two WGA Awards. Her credits include not only great shows like Handmaid's Tale, The 100, and Eureka, but also the blockbuster feature film Pacific Rim Uprising. Welcome, Kira Snyder. Thank you, Gray. Happy to be here. Yep. And of course it is. Thanksgiving week, and I want to give you a special thank you um, for the way that you give your time speaking on panels, because that's actually how we, we met. You've uh, spoken at a number of panels um, that we've been at over the years, um, and in particular, we always bring our daughter to these panels. We've been bringing her since she was 11, back in 2014, and uh, and she's now in her second year at USC studying to be a TV writer, so um, just thanks for being an inspiration to her. Oh, fantastic. It was so lovely to meet your whole family, uh, including your daughter uh, at Comic-Con this past year. Um, and so thank thank you for, for this and also for all the recording you do for those and other panels. Uh, much appreciated. I really I really enjoy doing them. I mean, I, I find for a, a number of reasons, I find it um, it's really fun to connect with writers. Uh, and I, I find when I'm asked to like talk about you know, process or story, it actually kind of helps me articulate for myself, like how I think about things and how I work on things. So I actually learn something when I, when I talk with folks. Mm -hmm. um, but, but also mostly it's cause I used to go to those kinds of things all the time. Uh, when I was, you know, coming up, breaking in, um, uh, we did have the internet uh, when I was coming up, but nothing quite like we have now. So, you know, there, there were not any podcasts, uh, by, by so many names. Um, there were panels, but they were in person. Uh, and I would go to those as often as I could. I went to them at Comic-Con. I've actually have been to, uh, I, don't, I don't know who have been Spiro's panel, but I definitely have been to TV writing panels at Comic-Con. And uh, of course here in Los Angeles, which as you know, there's uh, events all the time uh, mm. for, for um, you know, screenings and panels and speakers and whatnot. Um, I just got a lot out of them and I found them really inspiring and hearing how people's paths are so different and how they overcame adversity or got over self-doubt or even just kind of tips or tricks for the page. And, uh, yeah, so I, I would go to those and it's, uh, it, 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 I really enjoy kind of trying to give back in that way. Mm, very, very cool. Much appreciated. And I do want to say a shout out to Spiro Skensos, um, cause his panel, uh, intro to TV writing from first draft to getting staffed is coming up this week at LA comic-con, uh, Sunday afternoon. I think it's at 12 to one. Um, but definitely you want to come to that. Uh, LA Comic Con is one of the most inexpensive um, conventions to go to. It's right here in LA, easy to get to at the LA Convention Center. So I do highly recommend the viewers uh, sign up uh, for Comic Con and attend his panel on Sunday. It's always awesome. Uh, and it's his birthday today, too. Oh my gosh, you guys scare, you share a birthday? That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah we do. I'll have, to, I'll have to drop him a note. Um, yes, Spiro is fantastic. And he, I mean, talk about being generous with his time. He mm. has put on those panels for many cons and he, he moderates for the guild all the time. So he's a, he's a, he's, he's a rock star. Yeah, very much so. So if, if you want to wish him a happy birthday, he's on Hive Social now at Spiro is his address okay. there. Yep. Thank you. Uh, well, let, let, now let's talk about all about Kira Snyder, your backstory. Let's rewind way back because you have two really interesting pieces in your backstory. One is that you grew up in a Navy family and mm -hmm. then you also 
were initially a video game designer. So talk about that. Growing up in a Navy family, what, how did that lead to video game designing and then that into writing? Sure, sure, sure. So, uh, yeah, so my dad is a retired uh, Navy uh, officer. He was a diesel submarine captain. Um, wow. In the uh, yeah through the 60s up through the early 80s and yeah so my my sister and my mom and I and he were a little Navy family unit and we moved around um, you know every year a couple of years as my sister and I were growing up uh, lived all kinds of different places um, obviously places uh, <laughs> next to water I know there sometimes there's naval installations inland but we were on coast because that's where his his boats were. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so, so he was a Navy officer. So I lived all over the world, uh, growing up. Uh, and my mom is a anthropologist by training. So kind of from both of them, I really got interested in, you know, other worlds and civilizations and stories and, uh, you know, that, that interest kind of has been part of the, my, my background growing up. Also something else that happens, uh, very often with, with military kids, uh, is kind of how you deal with moving schools so often, um, what kind of, uh, you know, personality you develop by, by having to kind of relocate. And sometimes, uh, uh, Navy kids or military kids are very, um, extroverted and they make friends really easily and they just kind of slot right in from school to school. Um, and that was more my sister's experience. And mm -hmm. other, another way to go is, uh, you become more introverted, uh, and I, so I found, you know, found books, I found mythology and I really kind of really fell in love with reading at a very young age and specifically like kind of the things that we now call genre stuff. So you know, Arthurian legends and, uh, as I said, mythology from, from around the world. And again, I you know, picked that up from, from my folks in the places that we lived. Um, and sort of also being in part of the military culture. Yeah. I, I, you know, was a gamer from way back, uh, some of the earliest, <laughs> some of the earliest uh, computer game systems. Um, so that's something I just really have enjoyed doing my whole life. And it was when I was in, um, I had just graduated college. I was a drama major. I focused on playwriting. Uh, I was also playing at that time, a lot of computer games. I was playing a lot of the text-based precursors to things we now know as, you know, EverQuest or Minecraft, things like that, that were, that were mm -hmm. text-based. Um, and I kind of fell in love with these, you know, these early days, uh, multiplayer computer games. And I took this kind of left turn into technology, uh, after working in theater for a couple of years and studied computer game design. I went to graduate school mm -hmm. for that, uh, in New York. And yeah, and that was my, that was kind of my first a real professional career. I did that for a decade. I, I worked wow. at, yeah, I worked at the Electronic Arts. I worked at Microsoft. Um, I worked at a couple of startups, including one startup that is doing, uh, that did um, sort of screen-based virtual reality. So we see a lot now about the metaverse on Facebook. We were doing something very similar on uh, screen-based, not, 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 not uh, uh, goggles-based uh, you know, back mm -hmm. in, in the early 2000s. And, uh, and then one of the other games I was working on was uh, how I got into LA. So I was working for um, a company that moved my job down to LA. So I made the move with my job, uh, which is a nice soft landing in Los Angeles if you yeah. have to make the move. <laughs> Having the company. Oh, that's that's the best way. Best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I did not come to LA necessarily thinking I would try to move into writing. Um, it just was kind of a confluence of events. So I, mm. the game I was working on, the games I was working on at that point they actually were not the kind of cool narrative world building type games that I have enjoyed playing and, and working on. They were much more kind of casual. Um, so that was one factor. Uh, and the other factor was one of the other games I worked on back in the Bay area for electronic arts was um, an alternate reality game uh, called majestic. And this was a game mm -hmm. that 
kind of broke the fourth wall of what uh, a game uh, in real life was. So the game would call you on your phone. You would get oh, wow. um, emails from characters. Uh, yeah, it was it was really fun to work on. It had this kind of mm. cool X Files kind of story, um, and it was uh, it was episodic. Uh, we had a bit of a writing staff and one of the other people. Uh, so I was the game designer and the lead writer on that, mm-hmm. and one of the other writers on it. As a woman who uh, was on the, she was she was part of the original writing staffs of the first um, Beverly Hills 90210, oh, wow. Melrose Place. So she and her family had moved to the Bay Area, and so she was working with us on this project. And um, we had, I now know to call it a, a writers' room. So it was a room full of whiteboards, and that's where we kind of broke the episodes for this game mm-hmm. and figured out the puzzles and the story. And um, I just really love that mix. And then we'd go off and write our own individual pieces. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you describe, as I describe it, you can hear it's a lot like writing oh, yeah. for TV, which is what um, my, my friend Amy uh, and we're still friends. I told me she said this kind of writing, uh, this mix of uh, collaborative and independent uh, creation, is very much like working on a TV show. So, should you happen to find yourself in Los <laughs> Angeles, <laughs> you might think about that. So I was like, oh, because I really did enjoy it. So I started writing. Yeah. You know, just ter- terrible specs, just awful, <laughs> awful mm-hmm. episodic specs. What kind of stuff um, were you specking? Oh, let's see. I probably, I probably specced an X Files. Um, trying to get some of the, get, get those, you know, those those bad first ep- first scripts out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was still in the Bay Area, so it was only when that job that um, I, you know, I that moved me down to LA. And again, I was not, you know, I was not enjoying it as much um, as uh, as the the, the the more worldy narrative game, story-based games that I had been doing. Um, and I was in LA, so I was able to like go to the panels uh, and screenings mm-hmm. I was talking to you about. And that's when I started to decide to really focus on on TV writing. So I uh, applied, um, again, read a bunch of our specs. Uh, I applied to the Warner Brothers Writers Workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, I submitted uh, a cold case and uh, a Veronica Mars for that. Oh wow! And uh, so I got into that, and that was my that was my break. So I was, I was in uh, the program two thousand six, yeah, two thousand six to mm-hmm. two thousand seven, um, and I got staffed on my first show coming out of that coming out of that program. And yeah, so I got staffed, and I gave my boss at my company two weeks' notice, and have been focused on on TV writing and screenwriting ever since. Although I just I still do love interactive, and I've done some mm-hmm. interactive things here and there. Um, but, uh, but that was my, kind of my first big break was the, the workshop. Very cool. And was that Moonlight? It was Moonlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that Moonlight was a one season show, uh, that aired from 2007 to 2008. Um, and it was, uh, a time it was on CBS and it was when CBS mm-hmm. was kind of trying some new things. So it was a, a vampire detective show, um, mm-hmm. starring Alex O'Loughlin and, uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, I, so again, it was my first TV show. Um, I found it like super fun and fascinating and a, a big learning curve because mm-hmm. I had transitioned over directly, uh, from technology, yeah. from working in tech. Um, so I did, and I had been worked in theater. I knew, you know, I was a drama major. I knew about theater production, but I didn't know really kind of anything about TV production. So it was a kind mm-hmm. of a fast learning curve. Um, and that and show. What, what was the room like? And compared to the room that you had kind of had in the, in the video game. Oh yeah, the video game room was very small. There was just three of us. There was me, mm-hmm. my boss, and then this woman, this writer Amy that I, that I mentioned. Uh, and then on uh, on Moonlight, the, the the staff was a little bit bigger. It was not very big though. Mm-hmm. And 
it was great. It was a, it was a nice range of folks. Um, you know, I was definitely the new, there was the one other staff writer, uh, and myself and, mm-hmm. um, other, some other writers at various levels. And I'm still actually very close with a number of the people that I met on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, uh, and, and that, that's kind of one of the great things about shows that, uh, even if things are challenging and that, you know, not a way above my pay grade, that was a challenging show. It was, um, it was a bumpy year. That was the year of the writer's strike. Right. Uh, you know, there was just some challenges with this particular show, which, you know, the very, you know, the showrunners kind of, uh, you know, shielded the rest of us from. Um, mm. so I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great time working on that. Um, but I, I definitely know there was, there was some, some, some challenges and difficulties, uh, in, apart from the writer's strike, but, um, but making those connections, like even if a show is difficult, mm-hmm. you know, meeting a couple of two or three more great people out of it, like that's, that's a great, you know, that's a great outcome for a show that even if the show is, is a challenge is, is a great mm-hmm. way to have, you, you come away with this great connection. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, did you secure representation right away? Um, kind of. So, yeah, so the, so one of the very first things that I did when I moved to Los Angeles, um, and I definitely recommend people consider this in addition to listening to panels like yours and podcasts mm-hmm. like this one, um, is I, I took a writing, I took a pilot writing class at UCLA extension, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great program. There's a, there's a number of great programs in town. Um, but mm-hmm. that one, uh, well, you know, it was in the evening, it wasn't super expensive. Um, and it was taught by working writers, it still is taught by working writers. And so I wrote a, a pilot, um, out of that, uh, out of that class. Oh, and that's, mm-hmm. that's, 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 that class also, the other reason that was great about that class, I'm, I'm also friends and colleagues with people that I met in that class. And this was mm. you know, 15, 15 years ago now. So it's wow. uh, finding, finding your cohort, however you do it. Mm. Um, I definitely recommend that because it's, you know, you guys kind of, you know, you kind of move up together as you go forth in your careers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote a pilot in that class and, uh, I had a friend who was already in LA, um, she was kind of the only person I knew in the business uh, in mm-hmm. L.A. Uh, when I first moved here. And she, uh, screenwriter, TV writer, director, and she has a manager um, and, uh, you know, said, you know, do you have something that he might read? And I had written this pilot that I was, you know, I had worked really hard on. And I was really proud of. Uh, yeah. And so she gave the pilot to him and he responded to it. Um, and we had a meeting and really, really hit it off. And he has been my manager ever since. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. So, th- and that was before that was before the workshop actually. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of like right around the time that I got into the workshop, and then from there, uh, he uh, helped me get an agent, um, and that agent is still my agent, uh, all these many years later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, that's uh, not that common. I mean, um, especially both the manager and agent to keep them the whole time is uh, is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, it's been a great, it's been a great experience. Kind of, they've really had my back and been great supporters and really kind of got the kind of writing I like to do. Um, mm. even if it isn't necessarily their own specific cup of tea, but they always kind mm. of had a really good understanding of the things I like to work on and where I might be a good fit. Um, so it's been, it's been great to, to be able to have that same team, um, mm. since the very beginning. Very cool. So one of the toughest transitions is from the first to the second show. And you had the writer strike right in the middle of that. Um, talk about landing that second gig. Was that Eureka? Uh, yes, that, that's right. The second gig was Eureka, and you're completely right. I, when I first moved here, um, actually, there was one other person I knew in the business, but they were like a very senior person on a, a very successful show. So I did the thing where like, oh, so hey, can I buy you lunch? And kind of you know, picked his brain a little bit. Um, and he he said as much. He's like, yeah, the the hardest job 
to get in Hollywood is the first job. And the second hardest job to get is the second job. So mm-hmm. I, you're completely right. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the writer's strike was something that complicated a lot of people's lives mm-hmm. and careers in all kinds of ways uh, when it happened. Uh, ultimately, it was a good and valuable and important thing because it got us internet coverage, which is mm-hmm. kind of where we're all working these days. Um, but uh, that happened uh, during the first season of Moonlight, and ours was one of the few shows to kind of come back after the strike. A lot of shows just got straight up canceled. Yeah, uh, we came back for uh, it was I think it was the additional four episodes. It would have been a, a much more you know longer regular season, so we had a sort of a shorter mm-hmm. season, um, and uh, we got canceled. Uh, <laughs> so. So I co-wrote the finale, uh, which turned out to be the series finale, um, with uh, the other uh, staff writer. And we were in post-production on our episode. We were like in color timing, I think. And we were like mm-hmm. looking at our phones and we read in the trades. <laughs> like we read in the trades on our phones that uh, we had gotten canceled. And we kind of oh, almost immediately, af- immediately after the news broke, then, then the showrunners called us. But it was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So I guess we'll finish working on this episode. And that's obviously you know, hard news for the entire production. Cause it's, it's not just the writers that are mm. out of work. It's, you know, it's you know, hundred plus people that are, that are, you know, out of work when the show gets canceled. Yeah. Um, but it happened late. It happened late yeah. in the, in the year in May. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah. And that's, you know, that was, you know, long ago where, uh, back when staffing season, it's still a thing, but it was, it was kind of more or less kind of the only main time mm-hmm. of year in town for landing a TV job. Cause if you did, yeah. if you weren't staffed, Coming into you know June or thereabouts, you probably were not going to be on certainly not a broadcast show, and that, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. So it was it was way too late. And, I mean, everything was staffed up; no one was even meeting, wow. um, and and so then this was kind of like a, kind of a crossroads moment for me. It's like, well, do I do I go back to my boss at the game company and kind of ask for my job back, or do I kind of double down and better myself and really hustle and make use of this time and try to find the next thing. And then, that, and that's what I did. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'd been very careful with my money. And again, that's something that, I mean, I think we're all aware of starting out is like, you, you know, it's uh, the, the, the money you earn as a TV writer sort of on paper is good, but it's also intended to carry you through the lean time. So, mm. so I was very, very, <laughs> very frugally, um, yeah. for, for some months. Um, and I, I wrote, I wrote a feature and I wrote out a pilot, um, and uh, in, in a couple of respects, and then uh, my, my reps found out that um, that Eureka, uh, which was moving into its fourth fourth season, mm-hmm. um, was uh, adding some new writers, and so they submitted submitted me to that. And, and they weren't they weren't on a regular season, were they? I, I mean, cor- in terms of the time of year. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So uh, so uh, Eureka was on uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. So they mm-hmm. were kind of off, um, kind of like off the normal routine. Uh, mm-hmm. And now staffing is much more year round. But, uh, you know, in into, you know, in the, that and at that time, um, you would you might get lucky if there was a, a cable show that was uh, that was uh, staffing kind of off, you know, off cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly it was it was just happening uh, in, in the springtime on the broadcast shows. Um, yeah. So that that was that was my that was my second job. But yeah, I mean, it was and I so I didn't work for I mean, it was it was probably six or seven months. Um mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so then I then, then I uh, met on that, and that's things kind of got uh, things were a lot less rocky after after that point. Very cool. So so Eureka, um, fourth season. Uh, what was that? Was had you seen the show before? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, I was a fan of the show, and so mm. I was like super excited to, so to get a we. chance to work on it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. It was a it's such a great experience. It was a really great mm-hmm. room, and it was a really fun project. Um, I'm a bit of a science nerd, so a show that was so science positive, and mm. you know, it was. You could, you could kind of do all kinds of things. Like I really, you know, that had it had a lighter tone, which it, you know, kind of is a, is a, is a good for a fit for me personality wise. Um, mm-hmm. And the characters are just just warm hearted, and the whole small town small town thing was great. Um, but yeah, so I was a fan of the show, and I, I will say, like I've been very very lucky um, mm-hmm. in in the jobs I've gotten to work on shows that I was um, either a fan of because they had mm-hmm. been already on the air, uh, or they were kind of like my favorite of the crop of pilots in any in given particular year. And that is certainly the case with, with Eureka. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, so talk about, um, cause you, you really had only that one season coming into Eureka. What was the room like? Um, were you at, at the bottom, the, the base staff level or, or, and, uh, and you were on there for two, three seasons. Uh, so I was on there for two seasons, but mm-hmm. they, it was kind of over, it was over more years than that because of how they mm-hmm. broke it up because they, they did like a season, you know, 4.0 and 4.5 and, mm. and that kind of thing. So, so it was, it was, yeah, they, they were, they, they were getting, a little, uh, the sci-fi was getting a little creative in terms of how seasons were, were, were defined. So it was, it was two, two seasons, but it was something more like three and eight and a half or maybe even four years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the room was, uh, it was, it was bigger. Um, there are a lot more people on it. Um, but it was, again, a, it was a really well-run show and that, and that is an advantage coming into a show a few years in is that hmm. even if it had been little, um, first year shows tend to be bumpy for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and this one, you know, I mean, you would never certainly know it coming in. And when I did, um, it was just a well-run machine. Um, and, uh, it was just really fun. Like a, just a real positive energy, um, really good people, um, definitely, uh, definitely one of those rooms where, where, where n- no a holes policy in terms uh-huh. of, of, of staffing was, was, in, was in place. Um, yeah. And I think everyone on that show, again, I'm still you know, friends with and in touch with many of the people that I work with, um, and mm-hmm. went on to work with some of those same folks on subsequent shows. Yeah. Uh, well, you, you yeah. did quite a few shows with Bruce Miller, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So Re- Eureka was the first of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a, a, a fun kind of you know, anecdote about the, um, kind of get, getting the getting the meeting for that job um, that might mm-hmm. be relevant to, to, to writers here. So um, the whole like, the whole like, you know, do you write an original pilot? Do you write an episodic spec? You know, that's definitely a, a topic that gets debated a lot. Um, I think you, mm-hmm. I think you need both. Uh, one reason I, I strongly advocate, lots of reasons I strongly advocate writing an episodic spec is you just don't quite know necessarily what a given showrunner is going to really respond to. And mm-hmm. you might you might kind of get a little bit lucky, which is what I did. So my um, the, the sample that they read for me uh, that got me the meeting on Eureka was my Dexter spec. Oh, wow. Which doesn't seem to fit, right? I mean, you yeah. like sci-fi dramedy and it's like super dark, you know, serial killer <laughs> show. And I took yeah. I, and I, I picked a really, like, I made a really dark, dark story. It was like a, like a father and son, like a father and young son, like murder team. It was like super uh-huh. dark. Um, but, uh, but Bruce Miller really liked Dexter. So he was excited to read a Dexter. Uh, and then that, that got me the, got me the, the showrunner meeting that eventually led to, to my getting the job. Um, but yeah, so, so, so we were, uh, I worked with Bruce, uh, on, uh, Eureka for, um, those seasons. And then, uh, he went on to, um, run season two of alphas also mm-hmm. for sci-fi. 
And yeah. he, he brought a few of us over with him. Um, some of the, on, so on that show, uh, about half the staff from season one uh, was still there. And, and then a bunch of um, a bunch of us came on uh, with him when he joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we kind of went our own separate ways for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we kind of, you know, happenstance ended up on the same show run by somebody else uh, which oh, was yeah. the first yeah, the first season of the 100 uh so uh, Liz Craft and uh, uh Sarah Fain were mm-hmm. running that um uh Jason Rothenberg created it yeah. and they had uh they had hired uh they had hired a Bruce um and then I then I was meeting on the show and they and they're, so they're like oh you must know Bruce Miller from the other world. I'm like oh yeah you know Bruce like oh we just hired Bruce so uh, so we you know, we independently uh, got got put put together by the fates um, and then yeah so I worked with him for for several seasons on that and then he went off uh, to work on a couple things including what turned out to be um, the Handmaid's Tale. Wow, wow. Yeah. Very very cool. Well, um, we skipped pretty quickly through that. Um, t- can you just speak to sort of going through those different rooms, uh, were they all structured in, in a similar way? Um, I, I imagine with Bruce sort of being that, that consistent person throughout those. Um, uh, and I, I know Liz Craft and Seraphine, uh, they speak a lot about how they run the room on their, on their podcast, but, um, Mm -hmm. were there differences between, or they were roughly the same? But yeah, they 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 were different. That's something that I always find fascinating, kind of going from show to show, and, and you, you kind of you you pick up, you know, habits or tips or guidelines from the various shows you work on. You know, mm-hmm. ideally, ultimately thinking about like, oh, how would I like my own show down the road to run that? And uh, yeah, so uh, the, the 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 shows. Um, I'm just thinking like uh, Eureka and Alphas and to a certain extent the hundred. Cause he, he was, uh, Bruce Miller was, was, uh, pretty senior on that show, of, of course. Um, so mm-hmm. he had a, a lot to do with kind of help developing the, the culture there. Um, you know, sub, sub, subsequent to season one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, they, they were very, I, I would say they, that they, they're very respectful. They tended to have a really good balance, um, you know, gender wise, uh, mm-hmm. and, and ethnicity wise, um, and that was very much by by design. Uh, mm. You know, the you know the, the the showrunners that I've worked with, all of them have been really committed to having voices in the room that are not exactly like theirs, mm. uh, and kind of filling in places in their own experience, um, whether it might be gaps or holes or, or things like that. So, um, again, that that that's happily more common now than it was but um again mm. i was very fortunate to come come into rooms that were um more or less uh uh equal in terms of number of men and women that that had um you know people of other ethnicities it wasn't just me in a, a room full of uh white guys it was mm-hmm. it was you know, it, it reflected the diversity of the the, the the shows that we were creating and i think the shows were better for that mm. um they had you know they had um I would say I would say a hierarchy. They had a representation of writers across the um, kind of across the, the the ladder, if you will, from staff mm-hmm. writer all the way up to, to co-EP and EP. Um, a nice range of, of kind of everybody. And again, that's that's it was certainly on streaming shows. It's a lot less common these days just because of the way the money ball works out. So mm-hmm. you might have a lot of people at the high end and then yeah. not enough money to like fill in the middle. So you might have some staff writers and some senior people, but not a lot of the middle middle folks. Um, mm. And all the shows that I worked on coming up had, had the middle, the middle level, which I think is really important because you know, that's how you, that's how you train the next generation of up, upper level writers. Mm. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean, in every every room's you know vibe is a little bit different. Um, I think what I came to appreciate uh, in, in them was kind of the the alchemy of creating a good writing staff, like the kind of um, apart from the no a holes policy, yeah. <laughs> which is important. Uh, but the kind of uh, you know skill sets uh, and approaches, how people think about story. Because you, you you don't want like you know five or ten of the same type of writer or mm. storyteller. Um, different people are bring different things to the table, so you definitely want, you know, and, and there's something I, I definitely keep in mind when I'm reading to staff myself. You want a, a, a reading and, and meeting to staff rather. Uh, you, you definitely want those uh, idea machines, people that are like you know just just pitching all kinds of ideas, um, mm. you know, r- really verbal. Uh, you know, the, they they don't to, get too attached because they're just kind of really helping us you know get things on the board mm-hmm. um but you also need people who are a little more kind of hang back they might synthesize more they might be like oh well this thing this person said actually ties together this thing that we were talking about earlier or um they might be the good yes and person mm-hmm. um that's kind of more my vibe uh, yeah. i'm not the quick pitching idea machine i'm kind of like looking at the whole board figuring out how to connect things um you know thinking about what other people are talking about and maybe helping coming up with a solve if there's a problem or a bump Mm. Um, and yeah, so all those shows had really, had a nice range of those kinds of folks. I mean, I I think I really appreciate, you know, in the experience looking back on it, um, the care that uh, the showrunners took in in kind of assembling that kind of uh, staff again, not just different people with different types of life experiences, but Mm -hmm. different types of kind of like writing, you know, writer's room superpowers. Yeah. And all three of those shows shot in Canada, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So Moonlight shot in on the Warner Brothers lot in Los Angeles. And I mm-hmm. did not realize at the time, like kind of how, how rare that was. It's like, oh, this is how the way it always is. Because our writers yeah. room was on the lot. Uh, we shot on the lot. Um, and and Post was also on the lot. So it was all it was all right there. Um, but uh, uh, many of the other shows uh, I've worked mm-hmm. on shot in Canada, Vancouver, and then uh, Toronto for Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And, uh, and so... Um, at what point were you able to start getting involved in coming to set, uh, supervising set, and also being in post and, and other producing responsibilities? Uh, happily, right from the very beginning. And again, mm-hmm. I really credit I credit the the showrunners that I worked with coming up. They all all of them were really committed to the kind of the, you know the teaching hospital uh, way mm-hmm. of of running a, a writing staff. Um, and that's not not every showrunner does that. Sometimes they just want to. You know, take care of it all themselves, or they might deputize one or two other upper upper levels to take those things on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I have been fortunate enough to be on shows, and I really like this approach of uh, getting writers at whatever level as involved as possible as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so right from the very beginning on Moonlight, um, we were on set. Uh, you know, we were in the pre-production meetings. I mean, the you know the showrunners uh, were, were kind of more driving those meetings, but we were in there and, and participating. Um, you know, as much as we, um, you know, as, as as we felt comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and again, that was that was great and very special. And I very much appreciate having that experience. Um, you know, as early on as I did, especially as I mentioned, since I was coming over from another industry and had a lot mm-hmm. to learn very quickly, yeah. uh, being able to kind of like just dive right in um, was uh, it was it was you know you know quite a privilege uh, of the of the showrunners to to kind of let us you know meet myself and the other staff writer who co wrote that episode, um, just kind of dive right in. Yeah, that's not at all common for the you know initial staff level. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, at what point? Did you write Pacific Rim Uprising, and how did that come about? 
another, so uh, th- this is another example to me of like, you kind of just never know where, uh, where a job is going to come from. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working, so this is after alphas, um, mm-hmm. but before the hundred, I worked on a show, uh, for stars called incursion, which was, uh, created by Stephen DeKnight, who, oh, yeah. uh, created and ran Spartacus and yeah. has gone on to do many, many great things. But at that point he had done Spartacus, which was a massive hit for stars. And this was going to be his follow-up to that for them. And it's, um, it was a really cool military sci-fi show. So kind mm-hmm. of like, um, uh, Halo meets Band of Brothers, uh, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, so I was working with him on that show, and uh, it, it was a, it was a little bit like so. My so our experience with that show is something that was rare at that time, and is happening more and more these days, uh, where the the scripts were written, we were down the road on terms of pre-production, you know, things the the, the wheels were in motion, um, mm-hmm. but the network decided to to kind of pull the plug. Um, so the show uh-huh. never saw the, the show never saw mm-hmm. the, the light of day and who knows? I mean, they might, they might, you know, it might, it might come back around at some point. Um, but it was just a business reality and they were not, you know, they, they, they decided not to go forward with it. Mm. Um, but I had a great experience working with Steven. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, cut to some years later, uh, he, <laughs> he really just kind of called me up and said, so, um, so I'm working on this movie for, uh, for legendary and, you know, I'm putting together a writer's room to kind of work on the story, uh, that I've developed and was wondering if you'd be interested in, and I'm like, absolutely. Like I y'all <laughs> don't even tell me what it is. And it was, this. Yeah. It, was it was the, uh, the sequel to, um, to Pacific Rim. Oh, that's really and, interesting. I, I've never heard yeah. of a feature being written that way. Yeah. So he approached it a lot like, um, like a, like an episode of TV. I mean, that, that, mm-hmm. that of course is his background as well. I mean, he's worked uh, in, in features of course, but you know, he's TV trained uh, like I am. And so the, the room he put together was, um, I guess there's about six or seven of us all told. Mm-hmm. And it was about half and half TV writers and feature writers. And mm-hmm. he had come up with kind of the skeleton of the, uh, of the movie. And then we took a couple weeks um, and worked with him basically to, to break the movie as if you would break an episode of, of TV. Mm, that's uh, really and then, cool. Yeah, and it's and, and often, I mean, I, I've not I've not done. There's some writers' rooms that get assembled for features that come pretty late in the process, mm-hmm. um, and I, I you know, arguably to greater and less success in, in, in working on the script. But doing it early makes a ton of sense. Um, mm-hmm. So he it, it, part of it was also due to speed because there was a there was a kind of a hard production start date, so he needed to move very quickly. So he wanted again, you know, working with a writers' room lets you move a lot faster. I think probably yeah. than working on your own sometimes um so coming out of that breaking experience breaking the, the episode <laughs> breaking the movie um myself and another writer emily carmichael uh, were hired to write the script with steven Very so then, cool. it was, th- then it was this whirlwind of you know finishing the break because we didn't we did get all the way through it with everybody in, in two weeks finish the break powered out an outline powered out a draft um and uh yeah, and then it, and that was a great experience. I mean, it was just it was it was it was kind of a whirlwind. Uh, but again, having worked in TV, you learn how to write quickly, um, mm. and you learn how to write in other people's voices, which was great for this because it was you know this was Stephen's movie. He was mm. you know one of the co-writers. He's going to direct it. Um, it was in his voice, uh, and that was something because I you know because I'd worked in TV for a number of years at that point, and also to work with him specifically, um, it was just a really fun easy like we just have a really great um 
kind of working rapport. And we actually actually wrote, co-wrote something together just last year, um, mm-hmm. again because that was uh, it was such a great experience. So yeah, I mean it was it, it was again not not a call I expected. I mean it's <laughs> kind of the easiest uh, feature job I think I will ever get. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it, it really came out of having had this really great working experience on a completely other project. Wow. Very, very cool. Um, and so you, you joined the 100 on its first season. Um, how long were you there before leaving for Handmaid's Tale? Uh, I was there for three seasons. Uh, three and seasons. then, um, yeah. And then, then I got the call from, from Bruce, uh, asking if I'd be interested in, in meeting with MGM to work on, on Handmaid's. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, I, it's, I've worked on a number of shows from the very beginning and it really is kind of, as I say, it can be bumpy in the first season, um, but mm. it's really kind of special. Like I, I, I very much appreciated coming in partway through Eureka for the reasons I mentioned, um, you know, Alphas was a, a, again, a really fun show that to work on the second season, mm-hmm. but to be a, a part of a crew, um, cast crew writers, uh, post team from the very beginning, that's kind of a, a special thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it's been, it was really fun because those, you know, those first three seasons, if you watch the show, you know, the, the kids on the show, everybody in the show goes through like these massive changes Oh yeah. and, uh, it was really kind of fun to dig into that. Like I, I like, I like those kinds of survival stories. Mm. Um, I keep, I, I keep finding myself drawn to dystopias for some reason, even though I'm not particularly dystopian in my, my own <laughs> personal yeah. mindset. Um, but that kind of like, you know, what would I do? You know, what would you do? Uh, kind of those kinds of questions that come up when you're telling those kinds of stories, um, I just find really compelling. And I'm, I'm obsessed with like, uh, you know, urban exploration and ruins and, you know, what the earth looks like when people haven't been there for a long time. So mm-hmm. that stuff was like super fun, like, you know, finding buried, you know, the Lincoln, the Lincoln Monument half buried in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the forest, in the rainforest, yeah. Vancouver, um, was uh was was super super fun um and then seeing the actors kind of really grow and develop into their roles was was fantastic uh yeah that was again a, a great show to work on and then that, that again is another show the whole time um from the original showrunners to um to to, to to jason who took on later uh involved in every step of the process which mm. was, was fantastic so all the writers got to produce their own episodes um Very cool. which again is just inc- incredibly invaluable experience Mm. And I happen to know a lot of the writers on that show, and and it seemed like it was. I, I only hear positive things about the experience. Yeah, it was. It was. It was really fun. I mean, it was. It was kind of a different thing for the CW, and mm-hmm. uh, they really. I mean, CW really, and and Warner Bros. They really, really supported us. I mean, we mm-hmm. did some like did some dark things, you know. Yeah. Certainly not. You know, I mean, even even for broadcast, and this was like mm-hmm. a broadcast show. It was not like you know some of the, the streaming things. I mean, some of those early episodes where you realize, oh, this is the show. Like, you know, they, they were they they let us uh, kind of explore this gray morality with these mm. with these young teens. Um, and uh, yeah, and there's all, just all kinds of fun things there, like all these you know the ruined cities, and got to work with um, a, a language developer because there was this, you know there was a there was a, a certain language that the the the, the grounders spoke and that was mm-hmm. just learning a lot of different things. It, it was also a show that, um, because the budget was not big, um, I really came to understand and appreciate, uh, the invention and the storytelling that the production team, um, can do when they, when they actually are very limited. So a lot mm-hmm. of the look of the show, the very kind of signature look of the show was partially because we just didn't have a ton of you know, time or money. Like it, a lot of it was well, shot, a- um, handheld, you know? Yeah. 
it's fascinating because you you wouldn't know watching that show. It it was a really beautiful show to to watch. Thank you. Yeah, they, yeah, I really credit the you know the production of the post team for it. And yeah, I mean, uh, the, you know, they they the, the money was spent uh, you know wisely. They, 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 you know, the, mm-hmm. the money that, that we had was up there on the screen, but the uh, the, you know, the choices they made in terms of you know, you know costuming and you know the cameras we used uh, were within the, the the limits of what the show could do physically. But I think it really added a lot to the kind of unique look of the show. Like it had a kind of a gritty look to it that at the time was different than mm. um, a lot of the other CW shows. Yeah, very very cool. So, Handmaid's Tale. Um, so, w- were you familiar with the source material? Um, were you involved in developing that with Bruce? Uh, so, I, I was familiar with the source material. I had read, I'd written, written, I had read the book. Um, probably not quite when it came out. I think I probably read it in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, I had happened to just read it right before I got the call from him about possibly working on it uh, because my husband and I had seen um, a really um, incredible adaptation of 1984 uh, at a theater here uh, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, that of course is you know one of the touchstones for Margaret Atwood's amazing novel. So I had yeah. you know, saw the play and I reread 1984, which I hadn't read in a while. And I reread uh, a handmaid's tale. Um, and then I got the call from Bruce saying, Hey, so I'm, been working on this uh you know do you want to come in and meet because i still had to meet i mean it was definitely not not a a, not a a, a, an assured thing so i went in to meet with mgm and him uh on the show uh and so anyway so the the book was very very fresh in my mind (laughs) because i had like (laughs) just finished reading it so i probably came off like a bit of a super fan which i i am um but it was helpful to, to have that kind of very um uh very fresh Hmm. You know, the refresher on, on the book kind of right there at the tip of my tongue. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention about kind of that whole experience is uh, before, um, you know, before I got that call, you know, I was kind of looking at the things I've been working on and, you know, premium and, and uh, premium cable and streaming was really starting to take off. And mm-hmm. uh, I love genre, but I also wanted to be considered for those kinds of shows. I want to be considered Mm -hmm. for kind of more prestige uh, shows for, for cable and for streaming. And so basically I I wrote a sample of that kind of show. So I had samples of other kinds, Mm -hmm. but I wrote this original pilot, which was, you know, intended to be a prestige kind of drama. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that was what MGM read that got me the meeting, and that is still a sample that I use today. Um, so I just use a, a, an example of like, you know, if you if you have been in a lane for a part of your career, mm-hmm. um, and you want to be in a different lane or you want to expand, uh, you know, we as writers, you know, you know this, you, we we have yeah. opportunity to like just generate new material, ideally mm-hmm. to kind of move us into the different lane or to expand how people think about us. Um, so that that was something that was that, that definitely worked out for me. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, and I, I can see that. Um, I mean. There's a lot of great sci-fi shows, but you you can become known for just that. Um, so good for you to uh, to take that approach. Um, oh so, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so Handmaid's Tale, uh, you're there with Bruce. Were you were you involved in developing the show with him? Uh, not the first episode. No, I mean the mm-hmm. first episode was was very much out of his own own, own brain, um, and he also did the second episode. So I was, okay. uh, I, yeah. So so I was there with the rest of the staff uh, for the rest of the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, so we helped you know develop um, develop the whole rest of that season, and it, it, the adaptation of 
the book for the show was really interesting year over year because if you remember the book, the the first season of the show largely follows the events of the book. Like some things are in different orders, some things are definitely pulled up, some things are pushed mm-hmm. back, but it's basically the book. Um, so trying to figure out how best to uh, to kind of portion those those important story elements out. You know, what mm-hmm. do we leave in? What do we not have space for? Uh, what are some of the you know the secondary storylines and secondary characters that we want to follow? Like that was a really fun, interesting exercise because the mm. part of the genius of of Margaret Atwood's novel is that uh, it's it's actually not it's not a very long book at all. It's a very slender volume, and mm. you are in um, Offred's point of view the entire time. You're sort of in this bonnet cam point of view mm. the whole time. But the world that Margaret Atwood has has created in the in the book is so much bigger than beyond the bonnet. That's something that we actually are able to do in TV is kind of like mm-hmm. go out and sort of follow other characters, um, you know, dive more into the past, uh, you know, dramatize some of the transitional things like how Gilead came about, which you see a, mm-hmm. a lot in flashbacks in the first season. And then that of course was very different mm-hmm. in the second season. Cause we, uh, we still, you know, still had the book, but we didn't have necessarily the major events in the book. Although there are some events and characters even, uh, like um, June's mother, um, an event like the the mass wedding that are in the book. We just didn't have space for them in season one. So season two mm-hmm. was kind of picking up that story of her, um, of uh, in this case of of, of um, um, June's uh, pregnancy, um, and then kind of telling that story, and then finding opportunities where appropriate to like bring in some of the material from the from the novel that we just didn't get to in the first season. And we were actually mm-hmm. able to mine the book. I mean, they're, they're still mining the book, which is kind of fat and fantastic. I mean, again, that just really speaks to the brilliance of um, of the novel is that you can, you know, we, we've mined it every season since. Mm, very cool. Very cool. And now you were coming in at a higher level now. Were you already at number two at that point? Or um, what was your role beginning on it? And then obviously you moved up to the EP level while you were there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I started off as a supervising producer and then kind of mm-hmm. moved up to co-EP and then up to EP over, over the course of my – I was on the show for four seasons, the first mm-hmm. four seasons. Um, yeah, so I, I think I was, uh, I, I was I was actually not the number two. That would be mm-hmm. um, uh, an amazing writer and human being named Eric Tuckman, who had mm-hmm. also worked with Bruce on some other shows. Um, but I was part of the kind of the, you know, the, the, small, the, you know, the cadre of upper level people um, mm-hmm. that were kind of, you know, l- lieutenants to, to, to Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we were, you know, we were the people that were uh, help, you know, helping uh, other writers. We would read earlier drafts from younger writers, offer mm-hmm. the first set of notes to get it ready to, to give to, um, to Bruce. Uh, we would, you know, uh, f- feedback on casting and, you know, post and all kinds of, the, one of the, one of the things that um, definitely picked up from, from, from him and some other um, some other showrunners is uh, how important delegation is once you get up to the showrunner. Mm-hmm. Once you're once you're sitting in the big chair, it's like there's so much work. Um, the best way to survive is to surround yourself with people that you trust and delegate to them. Mm-hmm. So that's something he absolutely absolutely did. Um, and then of course running the room, which actually I had been doing for a while um, as I've kind of moved up because you know very often. Um, on a show, you know, if, uh, if the room is split or some people are out of the room because they're working on things, you know, whoever is this most senior person typically will be running the room or someone mm-hmm. might just get anointed by the, the showrunners. They're like, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. no, Gray, you, you have the con. Yeah. Um, so I definitely had experience, uh, you know, prior to, to becoming the EP about, about running the room. And, and that, that's, his, uh, that's his own kind of skill set. Um, 
and I definitely learned by by watching, you know, other writers who are, who are, who are talented and wonderful and experienced, kind of picking up uh, good habits from them. Uh, mm-hmm. But it was really, yeah, but being part of that little kind of group of, of lieutenants uh, was fantastic because we all were able to kind of, you know, backstop each other and, you know, work with and mentor the other writers on staff and, and ideally, you know, trying to relieve some of the, um, some of the workload from, from, from Bruce. Hmm. Well, and, and talk about this. So, I mean, this was a prestige show now, but, um, it won many awards, and you personally wrote episodes that uh, that were nominated or or won awards. Um, talk, talk about what that meant for you. Uh, I mean, it was great and definitely surreal. I mean, certainly for you know the first season of the show, um, which was the one that got as you mentioned, like just, uh, just we're, we're so gratified by, by the response to the show and it got a, a ton of recognition, which we're really, really pleased by. Uh, I mean, we, we did not necessarily, <laughs> we didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> we were just trying to make a good show and we were making it a little bit in, um, a little bit in a, in a, in a, you know, a vacuum or a bubble because you're just working on the show. It's not out there. You know, mm-hmm. no one's talking about it. Um, you're just trying to make the best show you can. Uh, which is ideally the way to do it. Like it's, it's a little easy to get kind of distracted once you're kind of out there and people are talking about, but you only, you you can only work on the first season once. So every Mm -hmm. every show kind of goes through this. Um, But yeah, so we were working on it in, uh, in 2016, we were working on it even before the primaries. uh, And we did not quite know what, uh, what environment the show would be coming out in. But Mm -hmm. like a lot of people, we thought it would be different than it was. We thought we would have a different uh, president uh, coming out mm-hmm. of uh, 2016, and that the show would be this kind of like, oh, ha, 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 what a, what a cautionary <laughs> tale. That could never happen here. Oh, that's ridiculous. And we, oh, my gosh. We only wish that we had been uh, less relevant than uh, uh-huh. we ended up being because we came out, as you know, in a mm-hmm. much, much different political moment than certainly I expected. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly we were extremely relevant and terrifying and timely. And then all these, again, quite accidental, coincidental um, uh, parallels started happening. Like things would be on the show and they'd be kind of happening in real life. And it's like, it was just, wow. that was just crazy. And again, completely unintentional because that, you know, things were written and shot long before the events actually happened in real life. It mm-hmm. just happened to be, something in the very much in the zeitgeist about it. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a very surreal, amazing, rewarding, weird, <laughs> uh, kind of uh, award season coming, coming out of yeah. that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it was, you know, incredibly, uh, incredibly honored by the response to the show and to, to the episodes that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was not something we looked for, but it was, uh, um, kind of fantastic to to have been involved with something, and I'm very grateful to kind of the doors it's opened for me, and who have mm-hmm. been involved with something that is, you know, it's really saying something, but yeah. in, in a way that is still, we hope, um, kind of entertaining and emotionally compelling. Not it's not just a, a message show; it's something that uh, is, as I mentioned before, like sadly a little too relevant um, still now. And in the way that the book has always been relevant, it was mm-hmm. the book was written in the '80s, but it's kind of always, unfortunately, been a bit timeless and. Kind of here, here we are again, um, as we see mm. now with uh, recent Supreme Court decisions and lawmaking bodies doing terrible things to, you know, human bodies uh, in terms of their, their their legislation. So it's a uh, it's just the cycle just keeps on turning. Yeah, but you know, I I think one of the one of the reasons I wanted to get involved in this industry in the first place is is I really believe that um, 
the work we do has has the power to influence people's minds. Um, I mean, I was I was just saying the the anniversary of the the first interracial kiss. Um, yes. Back in, in Star Trek in 1967 or 68, whenever it was, and um, I had the pleasure of being in a film with Nichelle Nichols and and. Oh wow. Um, it's it, it it's amazing in today's culture to think that that was even a thing, but yet yeah. it, it wasn't so long ago, and it was and it was really introduced to people on 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 TV, and then gradually became a part of what they would accept. Um, Absolutely. That, yeah. I mean, that's such a that's such a great example, and I completely agree. I mean, it's you know, popular culture has the potential to to really change change minds and, mm -hmm. and hearts in, in, a, in a real way. I mean, you, there's lots of issues that, that kind of point to that, um, you know, your real issues out in the world that were you know, supported or explored or, or, you know, or, or even just brought into people's homes for the first time through, through, through storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, I agree. I mean, it's, it, it the other thing uh, for me for that show, and then just kind of thinking about um, things I'm working on in, in the past now, just be, being mindful about like kind of the stories and the messages that we're putting out into the world. Um, cause, cause it, it, it can have an impact. It kind of does have an impact. And, uh, you know, that's something that I think, you know, every, every you know, writer kind of thinks about when they take on a project, like, mm -hmm. you know, why am I telling the story? You know, is the story something that I should be telling? You know, what, what, what is the importance of it? Um, or, you know, what is the danger of it? Uh, I, I just find myself again, like, you know, thinking about, my own worldview. Um, again, I, I, I try to be more optimistic, although the world makes it hard sometimes <laughs> to keep that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thinking about the kind of stories that I'm putting out into the world and, and, and that is a bit of a driver in the kind of things that I, I like to get involved with. Mm. Very, very cool. Now you currently have an overall deal at HBO. Um, how did that come about? Was, was that, were, were the awards you won at all involved in that or, or did that come out of the Handmaid's Tale? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think indirectly, well, certainly, yeah, the Handmaid's Tale and your know, reaction to it and kind of just, you know, people being a little bit more aware of, you know, of, of my work and the work of other people on the show. Uh, and I think it's true with any show that kind of breaks out, like you, those people suddenly are like, oh, people are you know, paying attention to you all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think it, you know, that certainly was, was a factor. Um, so that that came about uh, because there was a show um, that J.J. Abrams had created and was developing for HBO called Demimond, mm -hmm. and they were looking for uh, showrunner level uh, people to work with J.J. to build that show out into its first season and then and then to to, to run it with him. And it was it was um, it was that project that I was mm -hmm. um, you know meeting on interviewing with. And so the the overall deal came out of. Uh, getting hired and then getting hired to, to work on that show with, with JJ, um, which is, which is very common. My, I think my reps called it a, a show overall deal where it's an overall <laughs> deal, but, but, but really you're focused on this one particular show. Um, in addition to, um, you know, developing projects to, to take to HBO, but, um, with it, with a show like this, when you're like, it's your full-time job, it's kind of, that, that that's your main focus. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, so that, that's how it came about, and uh, that that happened. Uh, so I may, I, may, I kind of came off of season four of Handmaids, and then onto this new show, basically right at the very beginning of the pandemic. Hmm. Um, and that was also, at least you know, for for me, that was a, a kind of a, a a switch that was kind of for my own <laughs> my own mental health was was mm -hmm. was good because I again, as much as I 
love um, you know, Handmaids and I'm so grateful to the, the, the show and the people on the show for the opportunities that have come out of it. Um, it was a hard space to kind of live in, especially mm. in you know, s- you know, springtime of 2020 uh, into the in December of 2020, which we all know is like a challenging time for lots of reasons. And uh, this other show was um, definitely had like scope and stakes and it wasn't, you know, all sweetness and light, but it had a, it was not a dystopia. <laughs> so I was taking, <laughs> decided to take a break from dystopias for a while. I, I might end up back yeah. here, who knows, and some dystopia or other. Um, can't stay away from those dystopias. Um, but it's a different world to explore. And it, 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 it as part of it was this, uh, this overall deal, which was um, you know, terribly exciting. So that, that's so the, the show, um, Demi Mond, uh, was kind of like that show I mentioned with the Stephen tonight mm-hmm. show, um, the for stars, uh, HBO decided to not go forward with it. Uh, and that was in June of this year, 2022. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, again, another business decision, uh, you know, a, a casualty of the Warner brothers discovery merger. Um, oh, like, like a number of so many things. casualties, so many casualties. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, my so goodness. It's, uh, you know, so never say never. It's a show that yeah. might, find a home sometime somewhere, um, down the road. Um, but the, the significant silver lining for me is that I still have this, um, great relationship with HBO. I still have my deal with them. So that's mm-hmm. what I've been doing now. So I have, um, in addition to developing things to take to them, um, uh, I've been consulting on a couple of projects, which has been actually a, a fun kind of new role for me. I haven't really done mm. that before. Yeah. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. Very, very cool. We're going to take a quick sponsor break and then be back to talk about tips, tips, and tips. DrivingFootage.com provides 360-degree driving plates for film and TV. Over 14,000 clips are available for locations all around Southern California, with over 100 new cities from the U.S. and Canada coming in 2023. A fully equipped camera car with height-adjustable rig is available for custom shoots. Visit DrivingFootage.com for details. And we're back! Um, and uh, we've gone uh, through a whole bunch of things along the way, but uh, you've you've really had now a window from the staff writer position all the way up to running a room and uh, reading scripts, evaluating scripts. You've developed pilots for Hulu, FX, and Amazon, um, and also you're you're developing right now for HBO. Talk about your development process. Um, what's your, what's your writing habit when you're not on a, sh- on a show, um, and where do you go for ideas? Gotcha. Yeah. It's, um, so for ideas, so I, I like a lot of writers. I mean, I have, I have my own ideas, but also I have things that are brought to me by my, my, mm-hmm. my, my representatives. Um, and in a world where the industry is very interested in pre-existing material, you know, IP, uh, mm-hmm. books, comic books, that kind of thing. Um, th- those tend to have a bit more traction. So the, you know, the, 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 the pilots that you mentioned, uh, we're, we're all adaptations of various kinds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that I think is kind of, at least for me, was a bit of a kind of interesting awakening. Cause if you'd asked me earlier in my career, like, Oh, you know, what do you think about you know, adapting, mm-hmm. you know, something for TV or, or, or features? Um, I'm not sure what I would have said, but I've come to really, really enjoy it. And I've done it a mm-hmm. lot. Like I, I mean, from, from, from handmaids to, um, a bunch of, you know, uh, adaptations of, of the uh, you know, books, comic books, graphic novels, once even like a series of wired articles, I, you know, developed a pilot around that. Um, mm-hmm. I really kind of enjoy it. And I think that might go a little bit back to my game design background where it's kind of a mm-hmm. bit of a puzzle. So you look at the, you look at the book or the, 
you know, the, you know, the, the play or the, the comic book and kind of when you see what, what is the TV show or what is the movie that's in this thing? Like, you know, how do you kind mm-hmm. of carve away the pieces of the original material and find the best way forward on, on screen? And I've really kind of enjoyed, I, I enjoyed the kind of the puzzle solving aspect of that. Mm. Um, but in terms and how, of and how did you, how did you learn that? Uh, was there anywhere where you went to learn that or was, was it just kind of winging it with the skills that you'd learned along the way? I, I think I think it's kind of a, a bunch of a, a bit of winging it and also really learning from um, I mean I, le- I learned a tremendous amount from handmaids uh, as I mentioned from like you know how, how we thought about season one versus future seasons mm-hmm. um, but it's also just kind of like having internalized how I, I at least think about story mm-hmm. um, and yeah just sort of seeing like you know what what's missing I, mean, I, I feel like now at the, you know at this point, you know, having done this for, for, for 15 years, I'm a pretty good sense of like, okay, well, you know, a TV show, like here, here, here are things that are in this book that like a TV show would need, whether they're there or not, or how, how do I pull out those things? So, um, it's a, it's a little bit of kind of just experience and practice. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think for probably some of my earlier adaptation attempts would not have been, <laughs> would not have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of like how I, how I choose to what to, to work on it, that, that's kind of very much a, a gut feeling. Like I have a couple of kind of pet, you know, ideas or areas that I'm always kind of attracted to. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned like <laughs> mentioned dystopias, uh, survival stories, frontier stories, exploration stories. I'm really, I'm really interested in those. Uh, but others are just things that, like, I, I find something just really compelling about it. Something really kind of just hooks me in. I mean, uh, I, I have worked a lot in, in genre. Um, you know, Handmaid's Tale is you know, speculative fiction. It's not sci-fi, but it, it is speculative fiction. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like I like things that have interesting worlds. So the stories mm-hmm. that I kind of am drawn to to either come up uh, without out of whole cloth of my own original ideas or, or to adapt typically are things that um, that have some really interesting world aspect to it, and that could be sci-fi or fantasy, but also could be historical or also could mm-hmm. be a lens into a world that I just feel like I haven't seen before. I like being transported, like being taken places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of like a very large descriptor. So it really is kind of a, a, a gut sense when I, when I, you know, read a, a book that's been sent to me or kind of noodling over my own, like, you know, scribbled idea, you know, pads that we all have, mm-hmm. um, kind of what really gets me excited. What, you know, what, what am I excited to dive into? Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, and in terms of when you're in a hiring position, uh, reading scripts, um, when you're evaluating evaluating writers, uh, what what are you looking for on the page? Do's and don'ts, uh, things that really stand out to you in a positive or negative way. Yeah, so uh, having read for staffing for 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 Demi Mond and also for Handmaids and, and, and other shows, yeah, there, there are definitely things that I kind of look for. Um, some things kind of more mindfully than others. So I, I am definitely one of those folks who will look at uh, the length of a script before mm-hmm. I read it. I mean, it will not stop me from starting to read it, but I will be like, oh, okay, so this is supposed to be a one-hour drama and it's like 66 pages. Like, okay, <laughs> it's a little iffy. Um, and yeah. I also will flip through it. Um, I'll flip through it to sort of see, you know, does it look like a script? I mean, sometimes you can tell uh, if someone's a little earlier in their career because they have – you know, giant chunks of, uh, of action line or giant monologues. And sometimes that's a stylistic choice. So again, mm-hmm. neither of those things are, are deal breakers, but it, it is something I kind of, you know, clock in my, in my head, especially if I'm reading for a show where I know the, the house style is more mm-hmm. spare. Yeah. That could be necessarily a red flag, but like just a, something to, to keep in mind. Um, and then really, you know, what I'll, 
looking for when I'm reading is I, I really want to be made to, to, to feel something. I really want to connect mm-hmm. to the characters. I really want to f- kind of feel for them. And I, I, I sometimes will read sometimes even scripts from, from established writers where the script comes off as a little bit more of a, a narration of events rather mm-hmm. than like kind of getting under the skin of a character and kind of, you know, where's their head at when these things are happening. Um, so really kind of being drawn into a story through an emotional connection is like kind of the first and foremost thing I'm looking for. Mm. And you can tell cool. that pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You, you can tell that in the, in the first handful of pages for sure. Yeah. Um, and then more, more broadly, I just want to feel like, and this is, this is true. I think this is true for anybody at any level um, uh, being read is you just want to feel like you're in good hands. Like you're, you're in confident mm. hands with the storyteller. Like the storyteller has, full command uh, the writer has full command of their script and their story and they're kind of just bringing you along you want something that that, that comes across as uh, as confident that gets to voice and everyone's voice on the page is going to be different so everyone needs to kind of find their own style and voice um but i i would much rather read something that has like a quirky but definitive um mm-hmm. means of expression than something that's just like this happened then this happened this happened this person does this the person does that yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, do you? I you hear this at panels a lot uh, um, that you really have to to write at least ten scripts before you have a good one. Do you believe that? Oh, I I don't know about the number. I think it depends on the person. Um, but yeah, definitely your first scripts are not going to be any good. I mean, it, <laughs> you might get the occasional like genius or prodigy where they are great out of the gate. But I certainly wrote wrote some like terrible initial script <laughs> initial mm-hmm. scripts and you just kind of get out you just need to get past them and and also understand why they're not great like that's probably the more important thing what mm-hmm. not than the number is like okay you know is this working if not why not um and that can be hard especially early in the in your career where you may not have more than like your your writing group to, mm-hmm. to swap scripts with or you know the, your writing class uh, folks that I, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but that feedback's really important. Uh, not for identifying what's working and what's not working, but because when you're, when you're working on your own script, you're so close to it that you will absolutely miss things. And so that mm. external read, everybody know at every level, even at the highest level, um, always has someone read their stuff. Um, yeah. just because, you know, we, we, you know, we're in it so deeply that we, you know, we can't see, um, mm. you know, if this, you know, is the, if it's a mystery, is the clue trail, you know, too obvious, is the clue trail too obscure? Um, if it's a big world building show, is it too confusing? You know, is mm. it, are people's eyes glazing over? Cause you're getting into like, you know, the, the family tree of this, you know, Royal family or that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and that's something that you, you just not get because it's in, in our heads. Uh, we do a lot of, um, as writers, we're, we're connecting the dots kind of like definitely in our heads, not necessarily on the page. And that's where the external mm-hmm. read is super, super important. Yeah. And what about interviews when you're doing interviews with people? Um, how, how can somebody really stand out in a good or bad way? Yeah, that gets back to the thing I was mentioning earlier about like the kind of the alchemy of putting together a staff. So sometimes, and this is kind of this, I, I remember finding this kind of like hard to hear when, when someone's told it to me, it's like it, sometimes the, 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 the getting the the job off of the showrunner's meeting or not uh, may have nothing really to do with you at all because the the showrunner or whoever is helping them read is kind of looking at the whole picture of the staff mm-hmm. and they just might have somebody else that's kind of in in the slot 
in terms of, you know, uh, level wise or experience wise or um, kind of, you know, your, the type of writer you are wise that may already be covered. Um, mm. or, like I said, like you don't want, you know, a, a room of like, you know, 10 people who break story like I do would be terrible because no one would say anything for the longest time. <laughs> um, so you need a mix of that. So that, that's part of the, the, you know, the, the, um, the put it together, the, you know, the, the baseball team or whatever your analogy mm-hmm. is. Um, so part of it is part of it is that part of it's me thinking about the other folks that I've read and personalities and experiences that I'm already starting to try to assemble and where, you know, you, the writer might kind of fit into that. Um, it's really kind of a vibey thing. You want to get a sense mm-hmm. that this is someone and just quite simply that you can kind of hang with and break story with for, you know, hours at a time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people's energy, uh, will not be a good fit for the room. And again, there's nothing against them as people, but again, there are showrunners looking at this person plus that person plus these other three people I'm mm-hmm. talking about, like, how's that blend of energy going to go? So I, I, I would say you don't want to not be yourself. Like, you, I mean, it's, because that also comes across if people are kind of trying to you know, be on. Um, you need to be true to yourself in, in a meeting. Uh, even if you are kind of a shyer person and meetings are difficult, that certainly is the case with me. And certainly, certainly was the case when I was getting started. Mm. Um, yeah, just, you, you need to be authentic because they want to know who you really are. Um, so I'm trying to get a sense of that. Um, and also just kind of like, you, it's just the kind of person you are. Like that, that's, mm. that's where... Um, the kind of you know, shooting the breeze uh, in, in, in a meeting is good because I want to know where you know you know where are you from and how'd you become a writer and why are you a writer what kind of stories do you like to write um, you know it's it's helpful if you have like a like a like a writing superpower. Um, mm. if you're not asked about that to maybe sort of say, well, you know, something I really think I bring to a room is, is X. Mm. Cause that, that's always really good to know, you know, I mean, and, and it shows, not only that you, you know, perhaps have that skill, but you have the own awareness, that awareness of your own process, which is mm. also kind of instructive. So I, as a showrunner, can be like, oh, okay, so here's someone who is a writer. Obviously, if I'm talking with you, I like your script. Mm-hmm. But they also are thoughtful about how they work on story, which, um, I know, it just speaks to a level of professionalism and discipline that is, is always a good sign in a writer. Very, very cool. Um, so... The industry has changed a tremendous amount since you first got on staff, um, 2006, 2007 ish to, to now, um, it was announced fairly recently that, um, streaming numbers have overtaken, um, cable and, uh, I don't think it's going backwards. Um, so what would your advice be to someone who wants to break in today in today's landscape? Wow. Yeah. So you're exactly right. It's changed a lot very quickly, even the last, honestly, since, since 2020, I mean, the pandemic has really changed a lot of things uh, that may not change back. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the advent of streaming and then the contraction that's happened this year with streaming. Um, We mentioned the merger and some of uh, some of the, 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 you know, the, the business aspects of it have trickled down to how, you know, creatives like us kind of do our job. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, kind of always been a hard business i think you know you know patience and persistence and resilience are <laughs> those are never not in fashion They're, those are always yeah. useful useful traits for for writers um it's yeah i'm just keeping working on, i mean working on your material sometimes we, we have we have control over very little as as writers we you know we lose jobs for reasons we don't understand our show gets canceled for reasons we don't <laughs> understand yeah. um and none of that i mean 
basically none of that's really in our control. What is under our control is what we write. So, mm. um, you know, as the, the, the business is kind of chaotic around us, just really focusing on like just writing an amazing script, um, and then writing another one and writing another one, knowing that at some point someone will say, Oh, Hey, what are you working on? Or, Oh, Hey, you know, my roommate is a, is a, is a new agent, you know, newly minted mm. agent over at, you know, agency X or whatever. Someone will ask to read your, to read your material. And that's, that is what happened with me. It was with my mm-hmm. friend for that pilot that I wrote. Like, yeah. And, and I had just taken the time to get it like as bulletproof as I could as a, as a, as a writing sample, um, that someone responded to it. And that kind of, you know, I, I think that I still think I still get meetings off of that. So wow. it, it sounds, it sounds really obvious, but like focusing on the material is really key. Mm-hmm. Um, I would really encourage uh, writers of all levels. Um, I mentioned this before as well. Is to develop like a like a cohort, whether it's through a writing class or a Facebook group, um, or you know just a free form writing group. Uh, you know people with uh, people whose 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 taste and feedback you respect and kind of get mm-hmm. and click with. Uh, because that, that that's I mean th- those people are, are, are will be gold as you kind of make your way through the through your career because you can you'll, you'll that, that accountability <laughs> to get things done. Um, you learn how to give notes and how to get notes, which is insanely valuable because that's, that's going to be a huge part of your job as a TV writer is, uh, is, <laughs> is getting notes and giving notes. Yeah. Um, and also just the, the support because it's, it can be a, a very difficult isolating industry, especially these days. Mm. Um, so having people, even if you're getting together, you know, virtually, um, you know, once a month or whatever is, uh, is important just for that support network, because especially if people that are if kind of, of, of your similar level, um, you'll be going through the same sorts of things. Um, so, you know, you can lift each other up and support each other when things are going badly and you can vent to each other when you, got, you didn't get the meeting or the job or whatever uh, that you're hoping for. Um, I mean, that's, that's kind of evergreen, evergreen stuff in this day, you know, in, in this day and age also, there is more opportunities to, kind of make a splash and get known out there, um, in, in other ways. So, you mm. know, whether, whether it's a web series or a short film, um, you know, the Twitter threads, you know, pod podcast, scripted podcasts, mm-hmm. like all of these are, are ways to kind of get your voice and your storytelling kind of out there that people can see in addition to whatever script you might be writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I am not a director, but if I was, um, you know, I would absolutely be trying to make things on my iPhone and, and things like that. So, um, and there's definitely no one path and I'm sure you, you know, as you know, from, from all your many, many interviews, mm-hmm. everyone, pretty much everyone has a really different story on how they got into the business, um, yeah. which is both the good news and the bad news. It's the, you know, the good news is that, Hey, there's no one way. Um, the bad news is there's no one sure way, <laughs> you know, it would be nice if there's a really clear path. It's, um, it's, uh, army family to video game designer to exactly. It's a very much of a ping pong thing. And that's true for yeah. a lot of people, but it's, I, 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 the fact that I came to it kind of as a second career, even a third career, if you count uh, the, my, my, my brief stint in theater, um, you know, it's it, apart from that learning curve, uh, it never really um, it didn't really hold me back at all. And I, the fact that I had this other, other life, this other life experience, mm-hmm. sometimes it was really useful in the room. Cause I could, I could speak to a lot of, you know, techn- it was great for you because I could speak to a lot of technology things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did, we did a whole you know, a season about, um, VR, which was drawn very much from my experience working, mm-hmm. uh, in, in computer games. Uh, not just mine, obviously, but I was, you know, definitely a source for, for a lot of that, a lot of that detail. So yeah, that's the other thing also is to kind of lean into what makes you 
unique as a writer, mm. as, as a person, that's something that would, you know, also I would absolutely ask about in meetings is, you know, like when people say like, you know, tell me about yourself. Like they're looking for like, you know, what makes you cool and interesting and memorable. And, uh, you know, and that voice, like you know, your creativity, you know, absolutely come across. And that's something that, uh, again, is you know, no matter when you're trying to break in, and it is, I think, harder now than it has ever been. Um, you know, that's something that will always be true. Very, very cool. Well, we've gone a little bit long here, but I really appreciate you um, being so generous with your time. Um, social media handles, how do you like to interact with people? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we're at a weird time right now. I'm not sure yeah. what's going on with Twitter. I'm still on Twitter for the time being. I don't tweet that often. It's mostly cat pictures on Saturday, on Saturdays. But I am uh, at Sugar Jones, uh, yeah. uh, J-O-N-Z-E, at Sugar Jones. Uh, on Twitter, and that's kind of where I am right now. Um, I haven't quite decided if I want to go elsewhere or add something, but uh, that, that, that's where you can find me for now. And if I do move on, I will certainly announce it there. So yeah, very very cool. And it's funny because I, I, I saw you on Twitter for the longest time, and I didn't connect that it was that it was you. I, I always saw <laughs> Sugar Jones on the script chats and, and things like that, and and it was uh, anyway, yeah. That, now that's I know it's me. you. Yeah, that's on me because I, I, I've had that handle for like, again, because I was kind of a little more OG internet. Like I've had that handle for a long, long time. I probably should yeah. just use my name. <laughs> I would avoid a lot of frustration. But uh, um, but this was so much fun. Thank you so much for having yeah. me. Thank you so much for, like I said, being very, very generous with your time. I'll stay on just for a second after we, we go off here. But um, wow, awesome stuff. Really appreciate it. Not just today, but the panels that you've been on and the way that you've um, given to so many uh, and given so much great advice, which I'm sure has, has been helpful to, to help people to break in and, and to uh, excel in this industry. Uh, so well, certainly good luck to everyone out there uh, on everything and yeah, persistence and resilience. So those they will carry you a long way, I promise. That's it for the episode. You can find us on the web at tvwriterpodcast.com or at scriptmag.com. The video version of this podcast is available at iTunes, Podbean, or YouTube. The audio-only version is available at iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or Pandora. You can find me on Instagram at, at TVWriterPodcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.